to a, just a, a balmy, just like head Ooh. to the pool, summer Wednesday afternoon. It's 40 degrees outside. It feels amazing. <clears throat> it really feels amazing compared to the last couple of days. 40 degrees. This is so, this is what's so funny about just like perception. A month ago, 40 degrees would have been like, God, it's so cold. I hate my life. I hate everything. This is the worst. Today, 40 degrees feels like awesome. Like it's like I could I could build a summer home and live here. I when I was walking across the parking lot to get into the building, I was like for the first time in five days, I'm not just shaking to the absolute bone in this 15, 20 seconds to get from my car to the building. Mm-hmm. I felt okay. I don't think it's supposed to last, though. Yeah. I think it's. I think uh, we get back into the cold in like a day or two by the weekend for sure. Well. We'll get the full update from Steve Templeton on Friday when he's here with us to give us the weekend forecast. But enjoy it while it lasts. 40 degrees out there right now. I, you know, I was thinking Put about this. Put on your this. swimming trunks and head on out. If if Missouri, if the lowest Missouri got in their in our winters was thirty degrees, yeah, I would be so happy. That would be a great winter. Yeah, that's called Florida. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, Florida right now is like fifties, seventies, and at the very tail end, I think it's like eighties. Yeah, but. 30s. Grace has had a couple days in the like in the upper 30s. Oh, and, really? Yeah, they have those. They have like two of those a year. Mm, okay. And then yeah, and uh and that's about it. But uh yeah, 40 degrees here today feeling uh feeling nice and warm. Don't get used to it. All right, lots to talk about as we go through the afternoon today. We are not going to talk to um Rodney Boyd, who is typically with us on Wednesday afternoons, the insider's insider of uh, Missouri politics. He is a uh, busy man with the uh, session in full swing down there. We're going to catch up with Rodney next week. So in a few moments, we are going to instead talk to our buddy Paul Kurtman, who, of course, uh, former show host here at News Talk STL, but also former Missouri state representative, as well as a uh, uh uh, veteran, military veteran, and somebody who works in the finance industry right now, so um, he can uh, he can shine a light of ins- a lot of insight and um, uh, thoughts on a lot of things happening both here locally and nationally. So I want to check in with Paul Kerman. I specifically want to ask Paul about this idea because when he served in the Missouri legislature. It was a different time period, mm-hmm. and he was one of these voices that we hear from now. He would have he would have been a person that would have been in the Freedom Caucus, but the Freedom Caucus, the Missouri Freedom Caucus, didn't exist when Paul was serving. And I wonder what he thinks of that movement. If it's long overdue, if it's good, if it's bad. So I uh, want to do a little compare and contrast of when he was there as opposed to the approach being taken by many of the uh, of his fellow Republicans in Missouri now. So looking forward to that. Also, of course, it being Wednesday afternoon means we will open up Closest Cabinet. We will talk to our friends uh, Mark Close from KC95. Is Skip going to be with us today also? Skip is going to be and here. And Skip Weber Skippity from Weber Chevrolet. Yes, of course, we have our big show coming up. Uh, is that next Saturday? 
27th is next Saturday. Oh my gosh, I thought it was we still had two weeks. Okay. Isn't that wild? All right. Let's get let's let's get this going. (laughs) I'm starting to sweat. Next Saturday is January 27th, and our band, Katie and I's band, along with Mark Close and his band and our buddy Lenny Mink are going to be playing a show at Westport Playhouse, and it is all to benefit Thrive St. Louis. 100% of the proceeds go to Thrive St. Louis, so get your tickets ASAP. It's all a donation to Thrive, and join us for a great party, a lot of fun. We're going to have some special guests and surprises for you. Um... I, our band, I know we're super excited about playing. We have a lot of fun things planned. Mm-hmm. It's something that we have talked to uh, with Mark about. Mark and I have talked about for the last couple of years, trying to come up with an opportunity for us to all work together and, and have a fun party for a great cause. And we are making it happen, finally. And it's next Saturday, January 27th. Get your tickets now at the Westport Playhouse website, which is westportplay.com. And again, 100% of the proceeds go to Thrive St. Louis. And that is thanks to... Our sponsors, Weber Chevrolet and Gutter Pros. We wouldn't be able to do this for Thrive St. Louis if it wasn't for those great sponsors and all that they do for the community and the local music scene. So huge thank you to Gutter Pros and to Weber Chevrolet. And Skip will be joining us in about an hour from now also. So making uh, looking forward to that conversation. All right. Iowa caucus is behind us. Now mm-hmm. we look forward to New Hampshire. That Republican primary is uh, less than a week away now. And there is a new poll out that indicates that Donald Trump has a pretty substantial lead in New Hampshire as well. This is something we talked a little bit about last week because there were conflicting polls out last week. There was a CNN poll that came out just a few days ago uh, regarding New Hampshire that showed Nikki Haley within like five points. It was like Trump was at 37 and Nikki Haley was at 32 or something very close to that. Um, Obviously, that poll was the closest we had ever seen anybody to Donald Trump. However, it also may have just been an outlier because here's another new poll. And this one shows that Trump has 50 percent support of likely Republican voters in New Hampshire Looking forward to uh, next Tuesday's primary there. Uh, This is a Suffolk University Boston Globe NBC 10 poll. It used to be just one place was the polling place, and then there was two, and now there's three. (laughs) Suffolk University, Boston Globe, and NBC 10. Mm -hmm. Um, Haley is at 34%. DeSantis at 5% in this New Hampshire poll. Yikes. So that's a big number for Nikki, 34%. That's a big number. But when Trump's got 50, that big number doesn't look as impressive. I'm also wondering, I understand Iowa being very important. I understand New Hampshire being very important. But what is the stark differences? I mean, besides the obvious, the state. What are the stark differences between these two and which one matters more? They happen so close together and people put so much emphasis on both of these states and and how they vote and what that looks like as the outline of the rest of the country. But why is it that when we look at Iowa, there is such a dramatic difference between DeSantis, Haley, yeah. and Trump. And now we look at New Hampshire and there is, I mean, DeSantis at 5%. Yeah. 
I just I wonder what that is. What are they looking hey, towards for hey, voting? Ron DeSantis in New Hampshire. Yeah, I'll tell you yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He, he totally. like we said last week, Ron DeSantis should not be buying a vacation home in New Hampshire because he is not a popular person there. The highest I'm looking at the real But Nikki politics. is. Yeah, Nikki is, and so is Donald Trump. And so is Chris Christie. <laughs> Chris Christie is still polling at like 11% there, and he's not even in the race. Ramaswamy is still ahead of Ron DeSantis on the Real Clear Politics average. <laughs> and he out. And he's out. And Chris Christie's doubling up Ron DeSantis, and he's out too. So that just goes what to show you. It? Yeah, I, I don't know. So the Real Clear Politics average right now is Trump at 44.5%, Nikki Haley at 313 Christie at 11 Ramaswamy at Six and DeSantis at five point eight. So yeah, he is uh, in fifth place. Ron DeSantis. So is. this is why I look at that speech that we kind of criticized yesterday with Nikki Haley. That two-person race speech that she gave. Maybe she was just talking about New Hampshire. That's so. This I guess this all goes back to my original question on which is more important. Are are they or are they both equally as important? Because if Nikki Haley is basing this all off of New Hampshire and kind of disregarding Iowa, then then her speech is warranted. Then yeah. the, the speech I just criticized yesterday is warranted. I don't think she was disregarding Iowa. I think that she was looking forward because DeSantis is not performing well in New Ham in in South Carolina either, and obviously that's Nikki's state. However. Uh, you know what? I don't want to get too far off the beaten path. We'll get back to that. My point in a second. Um, uh, I think that she is looking. I think that she was looking forward to. Yes, she finished third in Iowa, mm -hmm. but it was fairly close mm -hmm. for second place. And she knows that in the next two places, New Hampshire and South Carolina, she is going to clearly finish second, according to the polls. Like, also clearly not come close to Donald Trump, according to the polls, but clearly win second place. It's not as nearly as close. Um, DeSantis is nowhere near uh, Haley in, in New Hampshire or even really South Carolina. South Carolina, he is polling at 11% right now and she's at 22%. Oh, goodness. But again, Trump's at 52%. Yeah, so does it even... So I think that... I think that I, I don't think that New Hampshire is more important or less important than Iowa. I think that these, I think the first three or four states typically do set the tone for, um, it, you know, make the decision of who's going to be the nominee because people skit, you know, voters are speaking. Uh, you know, they're speaking in, in the Midwest in Ohio and the Northeast in New Hampshire and then down in the South and South Carolina and those first three you know, contests. And I think it usually gives donors and supporters a pretty good idea of where everyone is at. So I think Nikki Haley is looking, f looking forward to New Hampshire and South Carolina, knowing that if Ron DeSantis does as badly as some of these polls indicate that he may do in New Hampshire and even in South Carolina, that at that point it may be the end of the Ron DeSantis presidential campaign. I guess we're going to see just, to just her being the sole alternative to Donald Trump. I asked the question but still way behind him. <laughs> I asked the question on I don't know what that wins her when she, if she if DeSantis does drop out because it doesn't all of a sudden make it like if 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 she picks up if if she picks up 
DeSantis's five percentage points in New Hampshire, she's still nowhere close. If she gets every Ron DeSantis voter, which she won't, many of those voters will go to Trump. Yeah. Even if she got every single one, it doesn't like it's not like it closes the gap. Trump's lead is still massive. I just I asked this on um, our News Talk STL Twitter, which, by the way, if you guys want to, I'm doing a daily poll. I'm attempting to do a daily poll on our News Talk STL Twitter. Yes. And I go vote right now. Well, this one's over because it was yesterday's poll. Dang it. But it, it was the question. What's the question? I'll vote anyway. Please. <laughs> I'll vote how in long? How much longer do Haley and DeSantis have until they get out of the race? South Carolina. Okay. Well, until one of them gets out of the race. race. Yeah, right. Okay. They have, in my opinion, it's it's South, South Carolina. Carolina. The, and I just think that that's interesting. Maybe they both hold on to Super Tuesday. Maybe. Uh, what is the date on Super Tuesday? That's kind of that's what I was going to ask you. But that is that is the question. I mean, you can you can look at these all day long. And see what the outline, the predictability of what the rest of the country might do because of these states. But how March much? 5th. March fifth. So, do you think that they'll they'll last until March fifth? I mean, that, one so of them? Super Tuesday is the big one. There's the next big day after South Carolina. There may be another. There may be another primary mixed in there. Um, I'll have to look at that. I'd have to look at the calendar. But you know, once you get to South Carolina, if you're sticking around, if you stick around after South Carolina, then it's almost like you may as well go to Super Tuesday to see how you do. And that's what I. That's just, typically the line. That's typically the end of the line, though. The South Carolina Super Tuesday window is typically the end of the line for anybody that's not an obvious winner. And and we have an obvious winner. <laughs> right now we seem we to have a, a very obvious winner right now. We seem now. to have a very obvious winner right now. That is that is true. Um you know, anything can happen in politics. Yeah. So I get true. it. I get it. You've gone this far if you're Ron DeSantis and Nick. Donald Haley. Trump won in two thousand sixteen. I mean, well, who could have seen that coming? Well, and you know, and I mean honestly, if you a little history lesson, and we talked about this last week. Joe Biden was about as pathetic as any candidate could possibly be in Iowa and New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, I mean, I remember talking on the radio. I remember, I remember personally and having conversations with many people in, in 2016 that we, the presumptively, who's going to be the Democratic nominee? Cause it's not going to be Joe Biden. Like it was like, Assumed it's not going to be Joe Biden because he was performing so terribly, and then James Clyburn saved his life in South Carolina, and the rest is history. And that's that's honestly what happened. James Clyburn saved the campaign, Joe Biden, and his campaign, and the presidency for Joe Biden by vouching for him in South Carolina. And by and large, the 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 African American, the Democrat black vote in South Carolina saved the day for the Joe Biden campaign. Which, if polls are to be believed, I don't. He does not have that support. Totally. Even with James Clyburn still being a surrogate of his, he does not have nearly that same black support. Black Democrat support in South Carolina as he did in 2016. I wanted to tell you this. Um, I keep, I've talked about Charlemagne the God so much the last three weeks, but he keeps making these headlines. He commented on Joe Biden's, you know, Joe Biden has so much high energy and so much vigor. You should watch him. So that lie that we've been talking about for the last week, 
Charlemagne the God commented on, and he is like, that is absolutely not the Joe Biden that we are seeing. I mean, he right. was laughing at the notion that Joe Biden would ever say something like that. He is like, that is not the adjective that Just I would use watch for Joe any Biden. any speech. Watch him speak. Watch him at any press conference, any speech, any appearance, rally, whatever it is that he's making. He does not have any energy. No. Half the time he's down whispering because that creepy whisper thing he does. Then he forgets himself and then he says something and then he makes up crazy numbers like like 400 billion people died during COVID. Oh, my gosh. You know, oh, my gosh. Absolutely absurd. And then he doesn't know where to go. And yes. then the speech ends and Jill has to come and get him off the stage because he's lost. But the there is not high energy and vigor not there at all. at all. The things that should be a slam dunk for Joe Biden, too, because it's it's what he ran on. As president, vice president, senator, the, you know, Uncle Joe, you know, everybody's best friend, everyone's next door neighbor. The the slam dunks for him that should be just home runs are whenever he's down doing the groundwork at the coffee shops, at the cafes, speaking to the people at the restaurants. And we've seen footage of him doing that recently. Could have been in Iowa, could have been in New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. People are creeped out. Yeah. They are not... Yay, Uncle no. Joe Biden. He looks like a creepy old man. People are seriously like, yeah. do not touch me. Because he looks like a creepy old man. But if he can't win. He's a hair sniffer. He is. And there, if he can't win in the coffee shop and the restaurant. Right. Where he is supposed to just be running the game. That's his. Yep. That's a great. Where point. is he going to win? That's a great point. Because that is that is that is his wheelhouse supposedly and always has been his saving grace is that he's this relatable friendly good old uncle joe and people are he's been exposed he's been exposed he looks creepier than he's ever looked and he behaves creepier than he's ever behaved and all the stories have come out of just how creepy and weird he is and just how elite and how fake fake that that persona has been so fake when you look at hunter and you look at the way that they that family carries themselves in such a privileged elite manner yeah there's no way yeah i would you could out privilege a white new york billionaire (laughs) when you're the one that looks more elite and privileged next to donald trump i mean you're really you're really something that special. That is so true. It is true. That is so true. All right. Um, I had a point I wanted to make about uh, Nikki Haley as we look forward to New Hampshire and South Carolina. I will uh, work that point into the conversation that we are about to have with Paul Kurtman, former Missouri State representative, veteran, former talk show host here at News Talk STL. Paul Kurtman's one of the smartest people I know, and that is why it is a great day to talk to him. And we'll do that next on Colombo and Katie. For podcasts, articles, and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. Welcome back to Columbo and Katie on 1019941 News Talk STL. Joining us on the line now is our old dear good friend, Paul Kurtman, is with us. Paul, great to talk with you, man. It's been a, a little while. I'm glad we get a chance to catch up. How are you? 
I'm doing really good. Really glad to be on with you guys. Yeah, you bet. So lots to lots of things I wanted to dive into with you, both locally uh, and nationally. Um, I, Katie and I were just talking about you know looking forward to New Hampshire and South Carolina and sort of recapping the Iowa caucus. I wanted to to start there and then I want to move to the Missouri legislative session. But uh, first, just want to get your thoughts on. Uh, your reaction to what we saw uh, in the Iowa caucus this week and, um, you know, this race moving forward. Is it a foregone conclusion? Is it time for everybody to step aside and consolidate, uh, Republicans at least, uh, consolidate behind Donald Trump? Or is there still something to talk about here? You know, I, I think that there's still a little something to talk about. It is still so early. But, I mean, I'm telling you, we have never seen a candidate like Donald Trump um, since Donald Trump <laughs> really be able to come in right, right from the very beginning and just completely dominate the field. And if he wins this election, um, there's only one other president uh, in history who's ever sat in office and then lost and then come back and then gotten off again. So he's going to be making history again. But I don't think it's a foregone conclusion yet. But I do think that some of the smarter contestants in the Republican race are already beginning to drop out. I look at people like Vivek Ramaswamy. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at him and probably him getting out as early probably does a little bit to help keep uh, good relationships open between him and Donald Trump. He might already be thinking it's a foregone conclusion. I want to be part of this administration. I want to be part of the Republican Party moving forward. And so before he becomes more of, a, say, a person of division, you know, the closer you get to yeah. the election the more divisive you can become. And so before he becomes one of those people, he's making sure that he's got good terms with everybody, including Donald Trump. So he already sees the writing on the wall, I believe. Um, But I don't think people like Nikki Haley do yet. Uh, But she might be until the end uh, to have a woman go the distance in a Republican primary uh, hasn't really happened yeah. um, quite like I think Nikki Haley might be able to do, so she might be in for the long haul. Yeah, and just ask Ron Paul if you hang around and just collect a few hundred delegates, all of a sudden it gives you a little more power at the uh, convention than other people would have, and there's always that uh, There's always that approach as well. Uh, I'm glad you touched on, on Vivek because I wanted to ask you about, so there's that idea that Vivek may be stepping out and, and throwing his support behind Trump because he sees a possible future connected to uh, the former president, maybe a cabinet member or a position in that administration. Doug Burgum, who is somebody that nobody knew uh, who that was <laughs> across the country until this presidential election. He was on the first debate stage and, and um, the, the governor of North Dakota, and he's a big supporter of Donald Trump. And he was with Donald Trump during his victory speech in Iowa, Doug Burgum was. And Trump promised that Burgum would play a major role in the administration moving forward. I don't know if that's a vice presidency, and I don't know that he's the right guy for that. But um, speaking of these folks, like Doug Burgum, like Vivek Ramaswamy, maybe some others that were in this presidential race, or maybe not, who are the Republicans that you see being a part of, not necessarily vice president, I mean, I'd love to know if you have somebody in mind that you think would be a a good fit for vice president as well, but who are those Republicans you think that are going to be a part of the Trump team uh, should he he become president? Wow, that that is a really good question, and I'm not sure that I have an answer for you just yet. And the reason is is because of this. In 2016, we saw Donald Trump start to bring Republicans into the fold, and when you look at his administration, 
uh, he, just, he was getting stabbed in the back from one person yeah. to the next. You saw people like Mitt Romney trying to get a position inside the administration. He brings him to the White House. They have a talk. And then he turns him down. And then what happens? Romney goes on the Donald Trump uh, hater war path, you know, and and then completely swings the other direction. Yeah. And then you see other people uh, throughout the administration that kind of came in, stuck around for a little bit and left. Chris Christie. Chris Christie was yep. being courted for a position, didn't get it, all against Donald Trump. Mm. I think Donald Trump learned a really valuable lesson in his first administration, and that is that we, if you're going to drain the swamp, you have to drain the swamp. And that means that it's that the pickings are slim to bring other people from the Republican Party into your administration because these are people that have gotten us to the place we're at now where we want Donald Trump. You know, these are people who are responsible in large part for all the problems in the country. These are the status quo politicians uh, that are that are with you until it's not convenient for them. And so I think Donald Trump has learned a valuable lesson. I would not be surprised if he does reach out to somebody like Vivek Ramaswamy. He's young, incredibly well-spoken, uh, very well on the stump, seems to be very principled. He has been uh, pretty courageous while he's been campaigning. He's come out with some positions and some statements that got him in trouble, calling for uh, Ronald McDaniel to uh, resign from the debate stage. Yeah. Um, and I don't think all that was just big fanfare. I think that Vivek is really that person. And so since he is another fresh set of eyes, uh, he's probably more attractive to Donald Trump <laughs> than other Republicans that have already been part of the process and yeah. part of the system for years. So looking forward to New Hampshire and South Carolina, and I was going to make this point earlier, it's, it's something interesting is, and, and I think telling, and I don't think it's something that we pay enough attention to, when somebody has served a particular area of the country, I think that those people can provide insight and information about that person. And Nikki Haley, looking forward to South Carolina, Nikki Haley's not the most popular person in the state of South Carolina where she was governor. And I think that's telling. Much like Pete Buttigieg is not a popular person in South Bend, Indiana, where he made his fame becoming mayor of of that city. He would not win an election. Pete Buttigieg would not win an election in South Bend, Indiana, which makes me think that he should not be winning any elections on a national stage. You know, he's one of those names that are batted about as the future of the Democratic Party. But it's it's interesting to me that uh, that Nikki is not as popular in South Carolina as you may think that she was as a governor. And with that in mind, um, and looking forward to you know looking at the polls in New Hampshire that still show Trump with quite a bit of a lead, and DeSantis is doing terrible in New Hampshire, and he's also third in South Carolina. Um, you know, and in everybody's still drastically behind Trump. I want to ask you the same question that that, uh, that Katie asked me in the last segment. When do we get to that sort of finish line where it's like, okay, now the now we know that the voters have clearly spoken and it is over. Is it after South Carolina? Is it after Super Tuesday? Um, when in this in this election, what's your gut tell you is like the 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 put up or shut up date for anybody to stay in this thing with Trump? Mm. I. I like to go till Super Tuesday. Yeah, I would like to go. So part, so part of me, part of me says take it, take it all the way to the very end. Like people just stay in all the way to the very end. I think it's important because you learn a lot more about the electorate when there's more discussion happening. But the same at the same time, though, uh, you see a trend, right? You see a movement, and at a certain point, you hit the tipping point where there's no going back. Uh, I believe Trump is already there, but I think it's healthy 
for the Republican Party and healthy for the country overall to try to let this go as long as it can. I, if you're going to ask me right now, do I think it's pretty much a done deal? I do. I think it's pretty much a done deal. I think Trump has that momentum. I think that every time, I mean, he was just in the this courtroom, right? And the judge is like, we're going to get rid of you. We're going to throw you out or whatever. And he says, I'd love to see you do it. Yeah. And he knows, Trump knows that when the establishment goes after him, the people of our country take it as a personal offense to themselves personally and so when he has a when he has a uh a mugshot taking everybody everybody's on his team because they feel like he's being bullied and they feel like they've been bullied and i don't think that this is going to reverse i don't think this is going to go back for trump i don't know you know i remember in 2016 he made the joke hey i could shoot somebody in the middle of fifth avenue and uh people would still love me that's really the way he is. That's really <laughs> right. the admiration people have for him. And so do I think we've already hit the tipping point? Absolutely. I don't really think that anybody else really has a chance right now. But do I think it's healthy for other people to be in and offer their ideas? Absolutely. Paul, I think it's funny that you brought that point up because it's not only the point of admiration that some folks have for Trump, but it's also the hubris that Trump has for himself that mm. you know makes him say those crazy, wild things. Mm. I wanted to shift gears with you, Paul, and talk about Lloyd Austin. We just got a 911 call that was released from January 1st. An aide said on the call, can I ask the ambulance to not show up with lights and sirens? We're trying to remain a little bit subtle. This is, of course, when the defense secretary was going into the hospital for his uh, procedure. I'm wanting to ask you, Paul, from your point of view. His secret procedure. His secret procedure. (laughs) I wanted to ask from your point of view, what should happen with Lloyd Austin? Because the White House is claiming that everything's cool and groovy and that they're all fine and he did his apology and that's that. But what should happen to the defense secretary after keeping something like this out of the public and out of the White House for days? Mm-hmm. That's a that's a really good question. And people need to be really, really thoughtful about this, so when it, especially when it comes to national security or military leadership. Uh, we just had a submarine commander. Uh, who was fired because of a loss of confidence. And so whenever you have somebody in a position of authority who is keeping secrets, whenever you have somebody who's in a position of authority who, um, uh, let's go further. Uh, This has happened in Missouri in the state house and it's happened in other state houses. When you have somebody in a position of authority who abuses their position of authority, whenever you are in encounter one of these situations, but especially in the military, it's, It's always good to restore confidence by making sure that the people higher up the chain of command recognize what's happened and they get rid of that leader uh, who's who's shown himself to be a little bit less than trustworthy. For example, I I think that it would be a good idea for President Biden as the commander in chief to say this kind of thing is not going to be permitted inside my administration. Mm. And I would probably look I would probably be looking elsewhere uh, for that particular leadership. Um, or at least come out with a much stronger statement. Um, But I don't think this kind of stuff should be swept under the rug because there's a lot of people uh, who are, I want to say, down the chain of command, um, uh, and it's just bad for morale Mm -hmm. overall. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Totally. Got a few minutes left here with Paul Kurtman. Paul, I want to switch to Missouri politics for a moment. We have seen the uh, creation of the Missouri Freedom Caucus. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything like that, but I would have gu- I would guess that uh, 
if this caucus uh, existed when you were serving, you would be taking a good hard look at maybe being a part of that of that group. We've talked to people in in that group. Our very own Tim Jones is uh, uh, is associated with that uh, with the Missouri Freedom Caucus. So are people like Senator Nick Schroer and Representative Justin Sparks. Um, is this something from you know going back to your days in in Jeff City? Is this something that is that is good for the Republican Party in the state of Missouri to have people that are going to be there, sort of serving as the uh, checks and balances on the swamp? Uh, you know, the swamp doesn't exist just in the just in D.C. It exists in Jeff City and other state capitals all around the country. Okay. Uh, what are your thoughts on on uh, on Missouri's creation of a Freedom Caucus? I love it. I love it. In fact, I think it's even better than it used to be. When they had their press conference, Congressman Eric Burleson from Southwest Missouri was there to speak. And and I love it. He gave me a little shout out because back in 2015, Congress, Congressman Eric Burleson and I uh, helped co-found the original conservative caucus in the Missouri State House. Uh, within a, a year or two, they had started one in the Senate. Uh, uh, Senator Bill Igel got that one started. Mm-hmm. Um, and now what we see happening with this new Freedom Caucus, this actually is coming with leadership from Washington, D.C., uh, with uh, a network, a unified network of state capitals where we have conservatives that are unifying across state boundaries to make sure that they're working together to apply the best kind of conservative leadership in their local state capital. So I think that it's, it's a wonderful thing that we have. Um, and it's a good way for conservatives to actually get the support that they need. Because as you know, sometimes you get conservatives in a state capital and they're, they're, they're kind of by themselves. And then before too long, uh, you might have them kind of become an isolationist or veering off a path that's not efficient at all for the agenda that they actually have. And so this actually helps bring in a little bit of accountability. The fact that Tim Jones is coming in as a state director, I, I'm not sure exactly what his title is, but he's coming in with some oversight. It's, it's something exact. It's something very similar to what you just said. State directors, yeah. yes. Yeah, and, and, and as the former Speaker of the House, I can't think of a better person yeah, yeah. to be involved with the direction of that caucus in Missouri. Yeah, for sure. And unfortunately, we're just about out of time. But I mean, in general, I I find enlightening. Last question to you as well, that, you know, whether it be officially with a group like the Freedom Caucus or just in general, we've seen um, a lot more elected officials in the state of Missouri not afraid to call out the system, not afraid to call out some of the uh, go along to get along type of uh, you know systems that have been in place that have kind of run things behind the scenes in Jeff City and to me I'm glad that we're talking about those for the first time you know in 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 my history of of covering uh, the legislative session the fact that uh, that we we see elected officials not afraid to call things out like that I think uh, I think in the long run that's only good for for voters and for uh, the state of Missouri what are, what are your thoughts yeah, it, it absolutely is good, but I want to. I want that to come with a warning. Talk is cheap, and we have a lot of ah, conservatives yeah. that say big things for likes and shares to help build their conservative brand, and they'll speak out against corporate welfare. But then they'll get inside and work with these people that are uh, uh, making out really well with a lot of our tax credit programs in Missouri, and they're getting campaign checks and everything else. So it, whatever somebody says. 
always go to their voting record mm-hmm. to see how they're actually voting because we have been letting people get by with the conservative reputation for far too long and they've helped exacerbate the problem. When I first landed in Jefferson City back in 2011, the state budget was about $25 billion. Last I heard, it was over $46 billion. Republicans did that, people, and we have a lot more so-called conservatives in Jefferson City than we did in 2011. And so people call that stuff out. It's good and important to call it out, but that's not holding their feet to the fire. People actually have to be aware of how these people are actually voting. Paul Kerbin, great stuff, my friend. Great to talk with you. Look forward to having you back on again very, very soon. In uh, the meantime, have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, yeah. Katie. Thank you. Great stuff there from our old friend, Paul Kurtman. Don't forget, we're going to open up Close's Cabinet. Have a little fun with Mark Close from KC95 and our buddy Skip Weber from Weber Chevrolet. That happens in just about 20 minutes, a little after 3 o'clock. Before that, let's dive back in. The vice president was on The View today repeating another this, this talking point about the Democrats that the only thing wrong with Joe Biden's chances for re-election is that people just need to understand how much he's done for the country. Mm. As soon as people realize all the, the production that Kamala and Joe have brought to you, it's like a no-brainer. Of course you're going to re-elect them. Also, I touched on this yesterday, but we never got a chance to get into this story. Um, <clears throat> the other idea that the only thing that's holding Joe back is that his handlers are too intense. Just let Joe be Joe and everything will be A-OK. Mm-hmm. I don't think it will be. <laughs> we'll talk about that more uh, and more next on Colombo and Katie. For podcast articles and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. DMV, how about that? Welcome back to Colombo and Katie on 1019-941 News Talk STL. Big thanks to Paul Kurtman for spending some time with us in that last segment. If you missed any of that conversation, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you never miss any of the great conversations that we have here on the show. We put out every day show as a podcast right after we get done, and we put it on basically every podcast platform. So whatever platform is your favorite, whichever one you prefer, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google, many, many more, we are on all of them. So just make sure you're subscribed to the Columbo and Katie show. All right. Uh, Vice President was on The View today. The View has said some... There's been There's been some... I've intentionally... There's been other things to talk about besides the ladies on The View. Mm-hmm. But man, they have said some things on that show recently that I have almost touched on. That have been in my notes, but have always... Uh, there's always been a, a, a higher priority. But dang, they are on a roll on that show. And the vice president was on today and she talked about how she is scared as heck about Donald Trump becoming president again. She said, quote, we have to we have to earn the reelect talking about her and and Joe being reelected. Well, we have to earn the reelect and we have to communicate what we have achieved. And that is going to be one of our big challenges. We've done a lot of good work. We have to just let people know who brung it to them. Okay. This is exactly what James Clyburn said last week when we were doing that story about South Carolina. Uh, This is exactly what we have heard people inside the administration, Corinne Jean-Pierre and others talk about, that 
the biggest thing holding Joe Biden back from winning re-election is that American voters don't understand how much he's done for them. Yeah, that's the... I don't think that's it, Joe. I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it, guys. But the problem with the White House and then the pundits that we talked about yesterday is that it's got to be the American people's fault. And that's not a winning strategy. All of a sudden, the the they flipped the script and because of Trump or because of their lack of faith in Joe Biden, it's the American people's fault for either being too dumb and not realizing how much Joe Biden has done for them or too stupid and having too much faith in Donald Trump. The Democrats have taken a losing approach by blaming their voters, by blaming the American population on why they're losing so badly. Now, granted, there was no red wave that happened in the midterms. There hasn't been. I mean, Republicans haven't won big in a long time. But it's I don't think I don't think it's necessarily because of the policies I think it's because Republicans have had bad messaging. But if they can't, if Republicans can't get their act together to have a better message than the Democrats right now and just simply not blame Americans for making their own choices and having their own minds, we're in a world of trouble. Mm-hmm. Because people like The View and people like our vice president are saying, it's not us, it's you. It's you. It's, it's you not Joe your, Biden, it's, it's you. you. And your, it's you and your ignorance. Yeah, it's you and your stupidity. It's You're, not, it's not. Oh, it's not that you can't see with your own eyes how bad the border is. You, not how that you can see with your own eyes how bad crime is. It's not that you can see with your own eyes, especially parents, how you know how messed up uh, our school system is and, and school districts in many places across the country are. It's you're not paying attention to all the great things. This is why they're desperate to do things like pay down student loan, and they're desperate to, because. They need to buy people's vote, literally buy people's votes to try to win this thing because they're in that bad of a position. And and what's so sad about the Democrats is that their entire philosophy of their party and of their life is stop your brain from working and allow government to do the job. Stop you, stop you being an individual. Stop your brain from functioning and allow government to take control and let us rule your life the way you do everything. And this is this is an issue with them because they can't rule over the voters. Yeah. They don't have control over the way people vote. They're sure as crap trying to make it a possibility that they're trying to control the way you vote by taking Trump off the ballot. Yeah. But their ultimate problem with the voters right now is because A, they think you're too stupid, but B, they cannot control you like they want to control everything else in your life. Well, that is so well said. You are exactly right. They are trying to... they. It, <laughs> It's. It, I want to get into some of the other things that the that they've said on the View this week, particularly Whoopi. Um, oh gosh. Um, because what you just said is so accurate, so right about the government control. We've never seen an administration that has tried, and maybe they maybe they're so maybe they're number one at this because they've gotten away. They've had more success than any administration in past in the past at taking control of every aspect of your life. Government overreach, government control, just running rampant out of control. And yet, 
the people that are the people the, the Joe Biden supporters and the people that are working to get him reelected, people like Whoopi and others in the media and, and other politicians say things like what she said this week that if Donald that Whoopi said this week that if Donald Trump were to be reelected, he's going to round up the gays and journalists. She said, quote, he's going to take gays and journalists, move them around and disappear them. You know what's weird about the gay comment? He was the first president to ever have a gay person in the White House. I can't believe you just said that. I have it right here. Let's go. My I can't mouth. believe you just said that. Let's go. History lesson, people. Come on. Donald Trump is the first president in history to put somebody, a gay, a, a gay person, in the cabinet. He named Richard Grinnell, the acting director of national intelligence, making Grinnell the first openly gay person to a cabinet level position. With that move, Trump also became the first president to give a member of the LGBTQ community such a high position within the presidential administration. Weird. Donald Trump did that. Weird. Donald Trump spent more time talking to the media than any president I've ever seen. He spent more time talking to journalists, taking questions from the media than any president I've ever seen. He also put a gay man, a member of the LGBT community, at the highest level in our government than any other president in history. That does not sound like somebody who's going to move around the gays and journalists and disappear them. That's exactly how she said it. Move around the gays That's and the journalists. That's exactly how she said it. She said, she said, quote, that he would take the gays and journalists, move them around, and disappear them. What's also strange is that Trump, whenever he was campaigning, got a lot of flack for being the first conservative, the first person running as someone, as a Republican, that was like, yeah, I don't care if you're gay. I don't really, like, yeah. he was the first president that ever ran as a Republican that's like, don't really care. All he cares about is you telling him that he's perfect. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't care, care if, you are, if you're gay, if you're gay straight. straight, black, white, whatever it may be. If you say, I think Donald Trump's the best, he's on your team. You are an asset. You Dan, ba- Dan Bongino said it best. You are a that liability exactly, or an asset to Donald exactly. Trump. That's it. Exactly. And I'm so glad you brought that up. And I'm so glad you know that off the top of your head, because I don't think very many people do. Because if you Google it, if you if you do the research, if you say, like, who's the first ever gay cabinet member, it almost always comes up as Pete Buttigieg oh. and Joe Biden mm-hmm. because Richard Grinnell was the acting intelligence director. That's still a cabinet it's position. It's still a cabinet position. I whip that out all the time. They try to do that. They try to claim that, uh, you know, like that That Joe Biden is the first person, the first president to ever put a gay person in his cabinet. And it is not no. true. It was Donald Trump who then commemorated it when Grinnell left that position. He gave him his chair from the meeting room because Wild. it was historic that he was the first openly gay person to hold a, a position that high in the government. Yeah. Pretty wild. All right, we're going to open up Closest Cabinet. We'll have a little bit of fun next on Colombo and Katie.